I love to read. And one of the books I started reading this year after hearing many business people rave about it was Radical Candor. This book has some great lessons and takeaways. And in trying to implement the number one takeaway in the book, I feel like I really failed. So today I'm sharing what I think I did right, but mostly where I went wrong, who helped me to see the situation more clearly, and most importantly, how to do better next time. Today we're going to start off with a story of something that I wish I would have done a little bit better. And it was a really uncomfortable situation, but we'll get to it in a second. First, I have to tell you though that I love to read. I love self-help books. I love business books. And one of the books that I picked up somewhat recently was Radical Candor. And and I'm not necessarily recommending it. I think there are good things about it. So for anyone that is going to come at me about like that's has a lot of swear words in it, it does. So don't read it if if that's something that will bother you. <laughs> but also for anyone who's like, that book's amazing. I can't believe you're going to challenge it. I think there are really good things in that book. But here's what happened to me. So I started reading Radical Candor and I was probably halfway through it. And it really challenges you to get really honest and give very clear, transparent feedback with people. It has a lot of other, there are a lot of other principles that it teaches, but that's kind of the main one, right? So, and this is one of the quotations that kind of sums up the whole idea of the book, which is, it's brutally hard to tell people when they are screwing up. It is just so uncomfortable. Niels loves that, right? Giving feedback to people <laughs> i don't it's hard it's un- yeah it's un- it's extremely uncomfortable a lot of the time in his white personality especially i discovered my white personality tries recently to, yeah trying to celebrate it tries to yeah he, well we are trying to celebrate it but he does try to kind of typically avoid things where i usually try to lean into them but this book was even more challenging me in a way where i was like okay giving clear feedback is a good thing. And in the book, it says clear is kind. And she tells this whole story about how the author talks about how she's walking her dog and the stranger, and she hadn't really disciplined the dog very well. She hadn't really taught it to sit or stay or listen to commands. And a stranger stopped her and basically said, you're going to, your dog's going to die because of you, because you have not taught your dog how to listen to commands. This is the exact quote. She says, I can tell you love your dog, but that dog will die if you don't teach it to sit. So the author, Kim Scott, talks about how she realizes that she needs to teach her dog to sit so that her dog doesn't run out in the street and in the same sense in business or in other aspects of life. If you don't tell people when they're doing something wrong, then they're probably going to resent you later on once they realize that you just have been withholding that information from them. And this is a little bit different, but I remember when I had a ballet teacher when I was probably like, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And at the very beginning of the year, she called me Kareen. And I just didn't correct her because I felt like it would make her feel awkward. So I just kept letting her call me Kareen. And even though my name is pronounced Corinne. And then at the end of the year, my mom, I think, like, was at my recital or something, and she called me Kareen. And my mom looked at me and was like, you haven't told her how to say your name this whole time? And so ever since then, I've tried to 
correct people quickly, unless I'm like, this is someone at, you know, the Delta counter or in the grocery store or something that I will probably never see again in my lifetime. Sometimes those people I won't say anything to. But if it's someone I think there's even a small chance that I'm going to interact with them again, I always tell them, oh, it's actually Corinne. And that's just something that I've learned to, even if it makes them feel, oh, I'm so sorry. Like if it makes them feel uncomfortable, I'd still just rather have that interaction up front than wait a really long time. And then it's really, then it gets weird, right? When you're like, you've actually been saying my name wrong for a really long time, you know? So anyway, back to my blunder. So I was reading this book and really trying to internalize it and trying to challenge myself to have radical candor in all aspects of my life. And there was a situation where I was in a group setting and someone did something that I was like, oh, that made me really uncomfortable. And not me personally necessarily, but just like they didn't do something toward me to make me feel uncomfortable, if that makes sense. But there was an interaction within the group that I was like, oh, that doesn't sit well with me. And most of all, I was like, I really respect this person and I don't think they understand how maybe that came across. So after in private, which I think is a total key, like you always want to give feedback especially if it's something that is a little bit like corrective or or is a criticism of any kind, you always want to do that in private. So I told this person in private later on, like, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but I think, you know, this may have come across this way. And if I were you, I would want to know. And I don't regret necessarily telling them that because I think that I that's true. I would have wanted to know if I was, if the situation was reversed but I walked away from that feeling kind of awkward, like, oh, like I, I think that was right, but I don't know that I delivered it all that well. So I went home to, I was in Utah like a week or two later, and I was there for this business retreat and I was hanging out with my dad and I was like, dad, let me tell you about this situation. So I tell him the whole story and I was like, you have to give hard feedback to people all the time. Like you were just barely in a mission presidency for 18 months where you worked with all of these missionaries where you were having to kind of give them corrective guidance. And you're a senior partner at a law firm, my dad's patent attorney. And, you know, you work with all these associates that come in and they're fresh out of law school. And it's like their first real job out of law school. And I know you have to give them corrective feedback all the time. How do you do that? So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today was his advice to me, which was, you know, after I told him the whole story, he was like, well, Corinne, like, I think it was good that you gave this honest feedback, but here's how I would have done it. And he said, anytime I need to give counsel to someone or give them some feedback that might feel badly or they might feel defensive or whatever, instead of just telling them, hey, I think you could have done this differently or whatever, you sit down with them and say, I noticed this and like, let's talk about it. What do you think? What are your ideas? And then as you're counseling together, you're not just giving them feedback that maybe they'll feel defensive about or bad about. You're involving them in the solution. And I loved that. I thought that was so constructive and smart and wise. And I was like, man, I need to do better with that in every aspect of my life, trying to counsel with people instead of just give them corrective feedback or radical candor. So what do you think, Neil, after you kind of had like the passenger seat view of this whole thing. So what do you think? I think it is. I mean, at some point, the reality of relationships that I see is just in my own life and experience and 
in general is there will come a point if there's a long-standing relationship where you, there will be some interaction or some component that will have to be worked out mm-hmm. and or awkward moment or misstep or whatever. And so it comes down to how those things are handled. And so I don't know, I'm not gr- great at really taking those head on and, and spirit, like giving someone like really, really honest feedback. I think I can sugarcoat things and try and be too nice, which is or just like, not say anything or just sometimes. not say anything, but I, but I've then learned it gets weird, right? that doesn't serve anybody. Yeah. I mean, when I was a missionary for our church, we'd work in pairs until so you have like a, they call it like a companionship. So there's two of you that go out and then every week we'd have this companionship inventory where you just talk about like, what's good, what's, you know, strengths, what's challenging. Is there anything we need to talk about in our own working oh, yeah, relationship? We, do that. we haven't done that in a long time. And so, yeah, which we kind of were doing in our relation, our personal relationship, that. That our was marital good. relationship, Yeah, express gratitude and whatnot. And, it's kind of a faith, you know, like a faith promoting, it should be experience. But a lot of times like, yeah, it's hard to, especially if something's really a hot button issue or topic with somebody or a problem that's like really pushing your buttons. It's hard to come out and describe that and fully convey the impact that it's having or frustration, especially in a way that's polite enough or respectful or not emotional. Right. And this is the whole point of radical candor is she says clear as kind, or actually this is the direct quote. It's not mean, it's clear. Like when yeah. you teach your dog to sit, it's not mean, it's clear yeah. so that they don't die. And then if you teach someone in a job to not mess up, then they feel confident about themselves because they, instead of letting someone, instead of the boss letting the employee do something wrong for a really long time and then they get fired and they're like, are you kidding me? I had no idea. You're giving them clear feedback so that they can improve. Um, But to your point, I think it really, it's all about the delivery, right? Yeah. I think it comes down to that. And I mean, eventually, like if you don't say anything or you don't completely spell something out or you minimize it, it's just going to keep happening. And then you're going to get more and more frustrated there will come a point, and I don't know, I've just realized in our own relationship that like eventually things come out. Eventually, like if there is a resentment or a frustration, it'll kind of fester until it blows up if you're just holding it in. So it's good just to deal with those things. Yeah. I want to circle back to the person also that I gave this feedback to was they handled it really well. Like they took it really well. They were very gracious about it. Very like I'm so glad you felt like we're friends and you could tell me this. But I also think that everyone, literally everyone deals with some kind of self-doubt. And I walked away from that feeling like, I hope that I didn't make that person feel self-doubt. Even though this person is like way cooler, way wiser, way more accomplished than I am. And I have so much respect for them. I think that nobody is accomplished enough or has arrived enough in life to not have any self-doubt, right? Even people that you look at and you're like, oh, this person has had lots of leadership titles. They are super accomplished. Maybe they have like a really big title at their job or whatever. Every person, it doesn't matter who it is, has self-doubt. And so the point that my dad made when he talked about doing the council is that instead of maybe growing those seeds of self-doubt or making someone feel like, oh man, like I really screwed up. 
Instead, if you you can sit down with them and say, hey, I noticed this thing and like, what do you think? And let's maybe talk about, I kind of was thinking maybe this could be a solution, but what do you think? And as you talk about it together, then they have some buy-in on the solution and it's not just like, oh, this person came to me and told me something that was hard for me to hear and now I feel stupid about it, you know? Yeah. Well, and also if there is an element that you don't know about the person or like right. so true. during the process of that, that something could come up of like, oh, I have this anxiety disorder that I, you know, no one knows about that causes me to do this. Or I don't know, that's just some example I'm pulling off the top of my head, but there might be some bit of information that if you understood better, it would totally change the way that you viewed a situation or how something went. And so I think that in the process of counseling and having that conversation in an open, safe format, I think you can get greater understanding. Yeah. And I, I did ask my dad specifically, okay, in a work setting, how do you do this? If someone hands you something and you're like, this is filled with errors, there's no way I can turn this into the client. Like, how do you address that? And he said, well, I call them into my office and I say, hey, let's go through this together. And he pulls out, you know, whatever the document is and they sit down together and he's like, we read it together. And then as we're reading it, they notice like, oh, yeah, well, that doesn't sound very good. Oh, yeah, that was a grammatical error or, or, you know, it allows that person to see their own flaws instead of calling them and being like, you made 1600 mistakes on this. This is crap. We can't give this to the client. You know, it's like, then that person's like, oh, you know what? Actually, like, let me take this back and work on it. And I'll, I'll bring it back to you, you know, is usually what happens instead of like a, then it just flips it so that that person can take more ownership. And I've noticed that even with our kids, that that tends to work really well too, because then they have some buy-in on the solution. And they, they, when you ask them, like, what do you think is happening here? And, you know, how does that make you feel? How does that make the other person feel? Like, what can we do better? So we did that last week. I'm kind of almost embarrassed to admit this, but our kids were like beating each other. <laughs> and I guess that's sort of yeah, normal for maybe. kids to just uh-huh. like beat up on each other. But it was getting to the point where I was like, oh, my gosh, this isn't just like a little bit of rough and tumble with funny enough, these little girls that we have that we're raising in our house. But they were starting to become like almost like physically abusive to each other, which is funny because I'm always like, you guys, do you see dad or me hitting each other when we're mad at each other? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, do you see me just punching dad if I'm mad at him? Well, no. Okay, does dad scratch me when he's mad at me? No. And I'm like, okay, where are you getting this? That that's okay. It's not okay. So we did have to give them a consequence. And actually we involved them in the consequence. Like, okay, you guys, what do you think is a fair consequence? And what's really interesting about that is sometimes the kids will come up with a consequence that's even more harsh than we would have, right? They were like, well, so we ended up doing no Saturday morning cartoons for a month if they were to like hit or or, or punch or hurt each other again. And they did it again. And they were like, oh yeah, now we can't have Saturday morning cartoons till November. And I was like, they, they actually just added on like two months, not one. <laughs> but since then, they've really, really been so much better about it, I think, because they really took ownership in not only recognizing the problem and talking it out and why that's not okay in our home, but also what what is a fair consequence and 
I don't know, instead of just like sitting them down and lecturing them and being like, you're in trouble and this is what you're, you know, this is what we're going to do. I really tried to take my dad's advice and be like, okay, guys, we all need to sit down and talk about this problem that's going on in our house and how to have a solution. But also you had some thoughts on that, right? On like family council. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a, there's a cool talk just in general, the concept of like a family council, And what that is, there's a talk called Family Councils, one of the 12 apostles from our church, M. Russell Ballard. But he basically, he says, he talks about kind of what what it is. There's this pamphlet that, that our church has entitled Our Families States. Our Family is the name of the pamphlet. And he says, this council can meet to discuss family problems, work out finances, make plans, support and strengthen each other and pray for one another and for the family unit. Then he goes on, he talks a little bit about it. He says, I believe councils are the most effective way to get real results. Additionally, I know councils are the Lord's way and that he created all things in the universe through a heavenly council, as mentioned in the Holy Scriptures. And talks a little bit, another component of this, a family council, when conducted with love and with Christ-like attributes, will counter the impact of modern technology that often distracts us from spending quality time with each other and also tends to bring evil right into our homes. So it'll it'll counteract that. Yeah, I love that. I love what he lays it out. It's like based on you do it in a Christ-like way, based on the principles that Jesus Christ taught and approach it in that way. Yeah, that's so true. Like just showing love and doing it with those correct principles, it goes a long way. I also really loved what it said about there was a council in heaven. And not everyone's heard that part of our religion story or whatever. And I was actually getting my eyebrows done the other day by this cute friend of mine who does my eyebrows and she's Catholic. And I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And Somehow we got on the topic of talking about, oh, we were talking about spirits and like when people pass on and what we believe about the afterlife. But I also was telling her, because we were kind of like talking about whether we believe in good spirits and bad spirits. And I was like, yeah, I totally do. And I told her, we actually have this thing that we believe in that happened before we came to earth. And it was this council where God gathered all of his children and there was one plan that was presented by Jesus where he was like, well, actually, does it say in the scriptures that it was Lucifer first? I think maybe that's it. Where he kind of says, hey, I have a plan for how we should do mortality. Like, I'll, uh, you know, I'll be the savior. I'll make sure everyone makes perfect choices. No one will have agency. And then we'll all come back to heaven and I'll get all the glory. Right? Is that? Mm-hmm. Am I getting it wrong? Yeah. Okay. Neil's my Neil's always my fact checker because he knows the scriptures really well. <laughs> and then Jesus basically was like, "Here am I. Send me. Like I will go down and and suffer all the pains and afflictions of all the children of men, and I will be the savior and come back, and all the glory will be thine. Like it will all be, all the glory will go to God. And so we believe that." One third, like if you can imagine this, one third of all of God's children decided to go with Satan's plan. Like that is just bonkers to me. It's crazy. But he convinced one third of the people, don't have any choice. Go with me. I'll make it super easy for you. You're not going to have to 
do any of the work, but I get all the glory. And then the rest of us, this is what we believe. All the people who came to earth are the other two thirds of people who said, I want to follow the Savior. And so I guess it's cool to hear that like, yeah, that is how we believe this whole thing got started. The creation of the world and of mankind and people coming to the earth. And that this was a choice that we made in this like giant family council with God and that we were all part of a choice. Like we got to choose and we got to buy into that choice to be like, yep, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to come down to earth. And I'm going to go through mortality and learn things and struggle and grow. And then someday I'll get to come back to heaven and report on what I did. Right? Yeah. No, it wasn't dictated to us. Because I think a lot of times in these just our own little mortal situations or whatever, I'm like, oh, someone, let me come and tell you. Let me come and instruct you. Let me dictate to you, especially if it's my kid, like our kids. It's like, this is where you're wrong. This is what you did. This is what you need to do differently. But in, in, you know, you look at that example, the component of agency is so strong and the, and God is, you know, obviously is God and, and respects, uh, has to respect that agency and chooses to respect that. He wants to respect that that agency so that we can grow and develop on our own, in our own way and make that possible. But agency has to be there. And so it's really powerful to look at that. And so, you know, yeah, that, that would make sense that it would be a, a principle of, you know, like an eternal principle that mm-hmm. on earth we're doing the same thing. We're um, having these councils and allowing people to instruct choose. and choose for themselves that we can present ideas and present solutions. Um, but ultimately, it's up to us what we want to follow and what we choose to follow. And so cool that we have that perfect example of our Heavenly Father to look at and in our faith, at least, and say, this is how God did it, you know, and he really had to totally also be bought into the idea of, okay, I'm actually going to let them choose. I am actually going to let one third of the spirits here choose to not follow Jesus. And it's so much easier, like you're saying, to just be like, this is what you're going to do. And this is, this is just the way it is. And not give our kids choices versus sitting down, counseling with them together, letting them propose solutions while we maybe also give our input. But it just seems to work so much better. also decided to sit our kids down and talk to them about feelings on Sunday. And we asked, so I tried to teach them, okay, listen, when you have anger and you want to hit your sister, (laughs) the anger isn't wrong. It doesn't make you a bad person that you feel anger when maybe she steals something from you or she's teasing you or she's doing something you don't like. Maybe it's something that's just really silly, but you feel angry or you feel annoyed or you just feel this urge to want to punch your sister. And we said, let's talk about maybe what some more healthy ways would be to express your feelings and constructive. And I had to teach them the word constructive. And I kept, they were like, what is constructive? And, you know, just teaching them something that's healthy, something that's positive, like something that doesn't hurt someone else, or it doesn't hurt another person or an object or, you know, something in our home. 
or someone else's property if you're at school or wherever. So they came up with some good ideas. Scream into a pillow or punch a pillow or... And Annabelle, actually, I was so impressed by this. I thought this was really mature of her. She was like, yeah, I could just say, you know what? I'm angry and I need a minute away from you and just walk away and go into a different room. And I was like, yeah, that's actually a really good idea. And so they really got into it. They were role-playing with each other. They really seemed like they were bought into this idea of, yeah, we need to find better ways to express our emotions and not necessarily stuff them or pretend they don't exist, but just express them, but not in a way that hurts someone else or they don't like damage our home or something. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that was really interesting how that went. And then later on that afternoon, I don't know if Annie said anything to you, but she came to me a couple hours later and was like, mom, thanks for teaching us about feelings today. That was really cool. That really helped me. Oh, cool. And I, I didn't even like, know that. Wow, you're welcome. And I don't consider that like, a, oh, I'm going to pat myself on the back and that was such a parenting win and I'm so smart. It was so much more the counseling together because I, I don't think it would have gone as the same if we had been like, well, guys, we need to teach you something. You're screwing up. You're doing this wrong. This is how you should be doing it. And just gave them a lecture. We really tried to get them to be interactive, to give their ideas you know, to role play things out. And they just got so much more involved and they were so much more invested in finding the solution. And they're not perfect at it, but I feel like so far they're making an effort, don't you? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that they're, you can see it's totally changed the way that they look at it and their behavior. They're they're at least recognizing it before they just beat each other. (laughs) Like there's, there's a moment there where they're like, maybe stop and, and think. And I'm like, okay, if we can start there and then, you know, rein that back in, if they can learn how to self-govern. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really where, I don't know, where traction can happen is when someone feels like they understand the idea or better yet, they come to that conclusion themselves or, or have the idea themselves of like, well, why don't we do this? Or I should do that. It sticks a lot better than me coming in or somebody else coming in and saying, here's what you're going to do. Yeah. I also think looking at the way the Savior taught and the way he interacted with his disciples and his apostles is really interesting. You know, he very rarely just lectured people and told them what to do. He oftentimes, in fact, I think most times would counsel with people and ask them, you know, questions that made them think and got them to, you know, be emotionally and spiritually invested in whatever change he was trying to create with them, right? It wasn't just like a, hey, you're screwing up. Here's what you're doing. Even with like the woman that was going to be stoned, he was like, where, woman, where are thine accusers? And she kind of looks around and is like, oh, there's, there are none, you know? And then he says, okay, go and sin no more. And he easily could have been like, well, I protected you. Don't screw up. Like that, yeah. there's that essential element of asking her, where are the accusers? Well, and even before that, with the men that came to him and were like, right. master in the law, this is, this yes. is against the law. Like, what do you say? The law says we should stone this. Yeah. And he, he just, he didn't, I mean, 
I think the knee-jerk reaction of almost anybody would be like, no way. Well, you know, you'd come come back with some rebuttal to it or some explanation or dictate something, but he just draws in the sand, says nothing, but then asks a simple question and basically says, all right, whoever is without sin among you, throw the first stone. How powerful is that? I mean, it's only like the the savior, like only, only Jesus Christ could do something that amazing and thought provoking with just a one liner and then have that type of a, of an outcome. And then not only disband the people that were, you know, questioning what had happened, but more importantly, walk someone through their own repentance kind of on the spot, so to speak with this woman. I mean, just Incredible. But yeah, to your point, I think having a a conversation and counseling is a solid way to look at it. Going back to the whole delivery is key to all of this. There's a really good talk given in 1988 by a guy that I've actually never heard of, but in studying for this, his name is L. Lionel Kendrick. Do you know him? No, I don't. So he gave a really cool talk about Christ-like communications, and I thought this was really good. He said, Christ-like communications are expressions of affection and not anger, truth and not fabrication. So there's that, you know, clear is kind or being honest is kind. Compassion and not contention, respect and not ridicule, counsel and not criticism, correction and not condemnation. They are spoken with clarity and not with confusion. They may be tender or they may be tough, but they must always be tempered. The real challenge that we face in our communication with others is to condition our hearts to have Christ-like feelings for all of Heavenly Father's children. While we develop this concern for the condition of others, then we will communicate with them as the Savior would. And that's like what we're talking about, right? Is just trying to look at people and think, how would the Savior deal with this? And even with my good intentions of being like, hey, I don't know if this is what you meant, but this is how, you know, maybe this could have come across. And I, if I were you, I would want to know. And again, that person, like they took it well, but I was the one that walked away and thought, oh, like, even though they, they were really good about hearing that from me, I feel like I could have done that better. And I was, I genuinely was like, okay, I think I did the right thing, but I just don't know that I did it in the right way. And how could I have been better? And I just loved that feedback from my dad, just counsel together, you know, sit down with anyone. Like you're saying, it can be in marriage or in work or in a church setting or in a community or your kid's school or whatever. And just say, hey, I've noticed this problem or this is making me uncomfortable. Or I think there's a little bit of an issue here or you guys are hitting each other. (laughs) And let's talk about it. And let's, let's try to come up with solutions because I do genuinely feel like that is what the Savior would have done. If I go all, if I trace all the way back to that situation that once again, at the very beginning, I said it was kind of uncomfortable and I felt like I needed to say something. I feel like if Jesus had been there, he would have done what my dad counseled me to do. He would have gone to this person and said, Hey, in such a loving way, asked a question or said something that would have involved that person. It wouldn't have been like a, just so you know, (laughs) Which is kind of, that was my mistake. And so I think that going back to radical candor too, I think there's some very valuable 
lessons in that book. I think there are some good points. I think the idea of clear as kind is also really good. I think it's so important as you're trying to lead or when we've had people that work for us, I don't want someone to be like, man, I wish you would have told me that. I wish I would have known that I wasn't doing this right or the way that I'm doing this is not to your liking or whatever. I try to give clear feedback, but I also think that when, especially when it's something that kind of, like you say, is a hot button thing or is that really, really uncomfortable situation where you're like, there needs to be some correction here, but it's going to make this person feel really bad. That's when I think it's really, really key to sit down with them and say, here's the issue that I'm kind of seeing. What do you think? And involve them and bring them in and show them love and show them that you value their ideas and their opinions. And like you said too, maybe there's a huge piece of the puzzle that you're missing that you don't see. And I'm not above that. I know that there are oftentimes perspectives or key things that I'm missing in my limited view of any given situation. Yeah. Now, all of this makes me think of, there's a scripture in the Doctrine and Covenants, one of the books of scripture that we we have revelations from God to Joseph Smith, and it's all written down in a book. One of my favorite sections is 121. It's kind of towards the end. He talks a lot about God's power or the priesthood power authority um, and how that man uses that. What are the principles that you use that in order to use it effectively? How do you use it? And it kind of lays out, says that no power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood or, or this power, only by persuasion, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and love unfeigned, by kindness and pure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile. So it's brilliant, these attributes and, and how you approach a situation, and if there's love and, and good intention or, or mm-hmm. you know righteous intent behind what you're trying to do, and maybe there are times where, depending on the situation, it's something different is needed. But if it's by, I don't know, if you're connected to God and you're listening to that inner voice um, or the spirit, then it's like, you're probably not going to go wrong. But I think that the challenge that I have, or a lot of people I think have, is you come at it frustrated <laughs> or in anger or in like, what are you doing? You know, and it's hard with, to have that attitude kids, with our for kids. For sure, that's like a knee jerk. Or just, you know, like if it is a a hot button thing, it's like, yeah, there's frustration. It's hard to come at it from the right place and inspire that type of a council situation um, and and have a positive communication. Yeah. I think sometimes, too, you just need a minute. Like you need to, you know, give yourself a minute before you immediately respond or react. That was another thing that my dad gave me some advice about. He said, sometimes you sit down and you write an email, you write it all out, you get all your feelings out. And then what do you do, Corinne? And I was like, you delete it. (laughs) He was like, that's exactly right. (laughs) And, you know, I think just like we were teaching our kids with expressing your feelings, I don't think it's wrong when there are sometimes frustrations or, you know, things that you feel are unfair or that you're upset about or whatever. But sometimes it actually isn't going to do anyone any good to express those, you know? Yeah. And so you have to go, like you're saying, you have to go by the spirit. You have to do what feels right. And that was really good advice too, you know, that it's good to get those feelings out and express them, but sometimes it's better to just hit delete rather than hit send. But I think going back 
also to the intention. There was nothing frustrating about that situation for me as far as like I felt personally slighted or I felt like someone had wronged me. It was more like I I had great intentions, but man, I just, I walked away knowing that the delivery was off. And so that advice to me from my dad in any situation to sit down with someone when you have something uncomfortable or that could hurt their feelings to counsel with them instead of just criticize them or give them feedback like that. It was just, it totally changed. It was a mind shift for me. It totally changed the way I thought of, okay, clear is kind, but also counseling together is so much better than just radical candor. So that was like my big takeaway from that situation that I'm trying to implement in my life. And I think we've seen a little bit of success with it with our kids. And I think even you and me, like, I think we've tried to get better about that as far as like counseling together rather than just getting mad at each other over things. And I do think when we are both in that healthy mindset of like, let's counsel together, let's talk through this, let's try to find solutions, let's try to see clearly from one another's perspectives, things go so much better. Yeah, totally. So do you have any final thoughts? No, I think it's a great topic to consider and to approach. I think it's assuming positive intent of other people. I mean, there's a lot of different things to keep in mind in this, and it's hard to keep those all straight, especially if there's like a really emotional situation. But mm-hmm. but I, somebody once told me, they're like, you know, just remember that whatever somebody is doing, no matter how outrageous or ridiculous it may seem to you, in their mind, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> like whatever they're saying, whatever their argument is, whatever their actions are, in their mind, it makes sense. And so I think... Assuming positive intent and assuming like, hey, this person's trying to come from a, a good place or they're, you know, I'm missing, there's a misunderstanding and let me seek to understand. I love that. You know, S- Stephen Covey, one of the habits, seek to understand. I think it's assuming positive intent and coming with the right frame of mind and having your heart in the right place sets it up for success. And it's easier to have that conversation dictated by the spirit or by that inner voice by true principles. The same that trying to be like the savior in that regard to where, you know, obviously came from a perfect place with that. Yeah. My kind of wrap up thoughts are if you're ever really, really stuck in a situation where you're like, man, this is just a tricky one and I have no way out of it and I have no idea how to deal with it to counsel with the Lord, to like get on your knees and just say, Heavenly Father, I have no idea how to approach this. Or I feel like maybe I'm in a lose-lose situation or I know something needs to be done, but I have no idea how to approach it. That if you counsel with the Lord and you follow whatever He tells you to do, you're not going to go wrong. He's going to tell you exactly how to approach it, how to deal with it even in really, really tricky circumstances. And, you know, there was something with work that Neil and I were like, oh, what are we going to do? We were really like just struggling. We were, we had tried and tried to work out a component of our job that was just like, it just felt like it was not going to get resolved. And then we prayed. And immediately after this prayer, there was I had really a strong prompting to do something that kind of seemed like, well, that's not going to solve it. And we did it. And it was like literally 
that second it was solved. And I know that's really vague, but just speaking in terms of, you know, when we just counseled with the Lord and said, Hey, we're having a hard time. We don't know what to do about this. And he gave me a prompting that was very much out of left field. And I was like, uh, are you sure? That's, I don't know how that's a solution. And we did it and it was literally the perfect solution. That's just a testament to me that Heavenly Father, He sees all the things that we don't see. He sees each of these other people's perspectives. He knows their hearts. He knows how to fix things. If we'll just let Him, if we just involve Him, if we just counsel with Him. And I think that we get into trouble when we think, I've got this. I know how to do this. Or I need to kind of push my agenda or try to figure out how to make my way the right way or whatever. When we counsel with the Lord, He knows best and He knows what we need. And and that's really the ultimate way to never go wrong, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree. Maybe take this challenge to the next time you have to give some some tricky feedback to someone or talk through something difficult instead of just delivering that to just counsel with that person and to ask them for their feedback too and just see what happens. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcast and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Oh, 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 oh,